You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, happy Saturday, and welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Steven Serta. Chiefs wrapped up mandatory minicamp this week. We will not hear from the Kansas City Chiefs again until late July, early August, when we head up to St. Joseph, Missouri for training camp. So we kicked today's show off with the Out of Structure podcast. They took your questions this week in the Chiefs mailbag. After that, we catch up with the Arrowhead Pride editors. They have some mandatory minicamp observations as we look ahead towards Chiefs training camp. After that, we will take a quick timeout, but when we get back, you'll hear from Show and BK. Around the show, Hughley was on vacation this week, so it was just myself and Brandon Kylie. We discussed the Chiefs' offense and how me and BK kind of think that they will not have a single 1,000-yard wide receiver this season, but that's actually a good thing for the Chiefs' offense. That's all coming up on Arrowhead Pride's Best of the Week. How about uh, from Brett86, 861569514? Brett at a bunch of numbers on Twitter says, how will the offense change with Tyreek Hill's absence? And, and and we can just flow right into Wyatt Hinton uh, asking, could Mahomes struggle this year stat-wise without the deadly threat of Tyreek Hill? Yeah, exactly. And this is a great place for me to plug my summer series. I hope you guys are, are catching the first couple of uh, uh, articles so far on the site. Dropping every Wednesday, um, either in the morning or, or midday. Um, but it's called the Reed Remix, which first of all, first of all, proud of myself a little bit for the name. Made it up myself. I think it's pretty good. I think it has a little ring to it, you know. Uh, the Reed Remix, and my first edition actually is what I'm going to talk about here. And and Brett laid it out for me perfectly because that's exactly the premise of the article is how the offense will change um, with Hill no longer part of the team, and we haven't seen Tyreek Hill not be in Andy Reid's offense since the 2015 season. I know 2016, his rookie year, he was more of a, a gadget guy, as actually we just sort of talked about in our last question. But it's, it is a huge difference, and it's something we're going to have to see an adjustment to. And I had three basic things that I kind of outlined. And Stags, whenever you want to you know, uh, uh, get in here, because I do think there's some interesting points in what I'll lay out here. But I think the first thing I wanted to point out was I really do think there, we could see a, less, a, a, a smaller reliance on the RPO game in terms of the run-pass option plays that – you know, we saw a lot of the Chiefs use on these early downs, you know, uh, the first and second downs to run the ball, not not design run, but not design run plays, not, you know, not these, these under center plays. A lot of times their basic run plays on early downs were these RPO calls and half the time they're being called passes. Right. And so you're not only are you not running as much, you're breaking the run plays you do call in half or even more than half into pass plays, too. And so I really think you could you could see that change um, specifically the RPO game, not being as prevalent of a part of the offense, man, from your lips to Andy Reid's ears on that one, man, that's, that would be a a welcome change. 
I think the RPO thing was a was a cool trend a couple of years ago when when it became a big thing with the Chiefs, and it really was you know RPOs Tyreek Hill's role in those it yes. has been uh, substantial, and and he is that's one of the things he's known for, and you're starting to see articles now saying uh, could Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins be the best RPO receiver in the league? I saw that headline recently, so it is one of those things that does go along with Tyreek Hill. And I do hope that they get away from it because I think it will help the running game, uh, having actual designed runs, hopefully some gap scheme runs that, that fit the running backs that they have, um, and then have Patrick Mahomes actually use the play-action game and actually you know, have you know, the, the, the play call come in from the sideline. Um, I think there could, be, uh, there could be some benefits to that. Exactly. And, and, and to get back to why RPOs are just so, you know, uh, such a big part of what Hill brought to the offense was because no other off player, and it's obvious, right, but no other player can do what Hill does. And the reason you want to have that RPO option all the time whenever you run a play is because Hill can take that 60 yards sometimes. And it's like you want to have that payoff, even if maybe it negatively affects your running game to an extent. You know, it's worth the payoff of Hill maybe taking a, a pass and going 30, 40 yards on, on a particular play. No other team, no other player on the offense can do that. Hardman has the speed to do that, but not the shiftiness, not the in-space ability. And so that's where it just may not have the same payoff. So why make it such a prevalent part of your offense moving forward, like we're saying? Should we take a, a quick step back and, and maybe define what we mean when we're talking about RPOs? So RPO stands for run-pass option, right? Um, it, it's a play where the quarterback has the option to hand it off or to throw it, and the throws – are almost always of a certain variety, uh, right? A, a yeah. quick slant, uh, the the quick wide wide receiver bubble, that sort of thing, right? Yeah. It, it is a there these very quick short throws um, in place of the run. Is that is that the way you define the RPO, or is there something more to it? Yeah, to get even more specific, you're, you know, you're exactly right. And, and a lot of these RPOs, a lot of what we see, not all of them, but a lot of them are post snap reads. So what you see is Mahomes take the snap. He's looking at a particular defender. So, for, for example, if it's a slant route being the pass call along with an inside zone run, it's always it's usually inside zone as the, as the RPO, inside or outside zone as the run option of the play. He's going to read a linebacker. If that linebacker flows with the run, he just left a wide open window for that slant route to be run into, right? If that linebacker just sits there, then he's obviously not going to be able to contribute to defending the run, but he's also going to be blocking that slant from being completed. So why, obviously, you don't throw the slant there, you run it, and that puts that linebacker in a bind. And sometimes no matter what the option is called, you can be successful just because the linebacker is like, oh, shoot, what am I going to do? Because he knows he's being read. And that's where a lot of it can can really, you know, Mahomes can mess with with these guys. And that's where it's an advantage because Mahomes is really good at this stuff and really good at manipulating defenders with his eyes. And so that's why it's been such a good thing for them to use. There's also post or uh, pre-snap RPOs, though, I should say, where sometimes Mahomes just know, can see, hey, you know, maybe this guy has 10 yards of cushion on, on the line of scrimmage as a receiver. If I just know real quick that's the case, I can throw a five-yard hitch to him real quick and let him just you know, do his thing, and he knows that before he snaps the ball. So there's a, a few different varieties of them, but all in all, at the, at the line of scrimmage, Mahomes is either calling a pass or a run. It's not a design run play, and sometimes the offensive linemen, that can screw them up, right, not get them to fly off the ball, and that's where it can be a really disadvantage, and that's why we're talking about we'd maybe like to see it just be a little different this year. And if I, if I recall correctly, the, the offensive line – generally blocks an RPO as if it were a pass. 
Yeah, well, uh, an inside zone run that they don't get down the field, right? And so that turns into being very soft in your blocking, right? Very, you know, like pass protection, very passive, right? Where you're kind of playing, you know, um, you're not getting downhill. You're not trying to blow people off the ball. So exactly, yeah, it's more passive. And you're not you're not creating holes. You're not creating run lanes and for big explosive plays if you're being passive, right? And so they also can't get is. to that second level yes in case it is a pass because then you've got your ineligible man down down exactly exactly and that's where linebackers sometimes really good linebackers can take advantage of that all the time that's it really happens quite a bit you know bad linebackers the chiefs take advantage of that and that's you know a lot of times where you see the rps succeed the most when an opposing team has terrible linebackers which you know i've talked about a little bit before the afc west defender uh, defenses do not have very good linebackers so that's another thing but yeah so that's that's kind of all the basics of that do you think some of that also contributes to Mahomes' indecision when in, in some of those games where he struggled and he looked tentative, he wasn't kind of sure which what he was going to do? Um, do you think some of that, uh, if, if you've got a particularly athletic defense or creative defense uh, and he's trying to take take it to that next level and to read that, that play after the play call uh, or after the ball is snapped um, – could lead to that, to that just momentary hesitation uh, that, that throws off timing. Well, I think it's natural with Mahomes because I think he likes to have the ball in his hands. He likes to, to make the plays. But I also you know, do think that's a good point and something that we talk about. We want the coaches to call more design runs. Well, the benefit of an RPO is that if, if the team is defending the pass a lot, that run game is going to be open and you can hammer it. That can also be on Mahomes not being aggressive enough with the run game, not understanding that, hey, the big advantage right now is to hammer the ground game. And for me to hand this ball off on these RPO calls, I can still make it look like I want to throw. And that's going to help the linebacker stay soft and stay off the ball. But guess what I can do in the huddle is tell my linemen, Hey, I'm handing this ball off because they are dropping back in eight man coverages and they are playing soft and we need to run the ball. We're calling RPOs, but I'm not going to pass this ball. And like, obviously, you know, that can change, but just, I, I do think there's some too. Mahomes and himself being in the game, the, the play of the game, needing to understand when it's important to run the ball, when it's more of an advantage and not just always kind of, you know, wanting to pass the ball primarily. And I think that's just, you know, with experience will come. But I do think, you know, and it's not all in the, all in the coaches. And, and I think that's easy to say sometimes. And let's lean into this. <clears throat> excuse me. Let's lean into this giant offensive line. They've, they've built yeah. these maulers and, and let them let them eat. And I, I do hope, and I think a lot of people have made this uh, comparison, that the Ronald Jones acquisition speaks more to that. Yeah, Ronald Jones is not an RPO running back, right? He's no. <laughs> no, no. You watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year with him and Leonard Fournette. They're downhill. They're a lot of downhill duo running running game, which duo means you know uh, double team blocks all, are all along the line. Yes, no. And we may see more of that, and that you know the Jones signing does kind of point towards it. So to the second half of the question, or to Wyatt's half of the question, could Mahomes struggle without Tyreek? Now, there are certain things that Tyreek Hill certainly makes happen that, that most receivers, other receivers, are not going to make happen. Um, he's certainly more feared, probably, than anybody that's remaining on the Chiefs roster. And there's there are those plays where he took, you know, a wide receiver screen and went 60 yards or yeah. – uh, you know, the the play I'm thinking at the end of the uh, one of those plays at the end of the Buffalo game yes. where he caught one and just blew through the defense that just not everybody else is not anybody else is going to be able to do. So you, you're probably going to miss some of those massive plays 
that nobody else that somebody else might get 20 yards and and, and Hill's going to take it 80. Um, but statistically, do you think that's going to affect Mahomes' overall numbers by the end of the season? I do think there is something to it. Um, I do think the yardage will probably go down. I, I actually may, um, you know, I, I, I'd be pretty safe to say that the yardage, his yardage will go down. I think Tyreek, a lot of times, man, you know, he, like, again, you were just saying it, but he, he creates those extra yards after the catch. Something that she's, he's just not going to have this year. But I also do think we were just talking about this design run game. I do think it could just make the offense just less reliant on passing yards, but maybe Mahomes' touchdowns go up, right? Maybe he's more, you know, they get into the red zone and that's where they really attack with with the pass. Uh, you know, maybe it's just not, maybe they're not just dropping back as much as they did last year. Look at Mahomes' dropbacks. He had some of the highest, he, I think he dropped back some of the most in the entire NFL last year. Um, I just don't see that necessarily being the case this year. And and another point with this run game too, I just think it's an it's an easy way to to kind of just, um, you know, soothe your way in, I guess, you know, a smooth transition into the new offense, right? Into all these new weapons and everything. You know, you might not have the capabilities, everyone on the same page to have a, a very complex passing game right off the bat, right? So I do think relying on the run game could also be a good way to ease ease the new players into the new system, into the new Chiefs, you know, Chiefs offense. And that could lead to less yards. You know, maybe Mahomes isn't as volume stats. Maybe he doesn't have the big you know, leads the league in yards or whatever. Like he, he, he is usually at the top in yardage, but maybe he has more touchdowns, better touchdown interception ratio. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he just doesn't have the huge games, right? Maybe we just don't see the, the, you know, the, the huge block, you know, the crazy games, but maybe he's just more consistent and we see high touchdown numbers because, you know, he's just, they're being more efficient with the offense, maybe not relying on the pass as much. Well, specifically, if you, if you want to look at the numbers, there's a great article on arrowheadpride.com uh, from our guy, BK, Brandon Kyler yes. wrote, yeah, uh, and and what he tried to do is project the numbers for all the Chiefs wide receivers, and what he did was went back from 2018 through 2021, the Patrick Mahomes era. Uh, what does an average season look like? So Mahomes' average 17 game season is 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. First of all, the absurdity that that is an average. <laughs> aside yeah you said uh, average right that's right that's that's his average um, and so of that about 2750 yards were for wide receivers um and if you break it down in his projections not to give away the whole article definitely go read it but he he really has two guys pretty evenly split at the top with juju and mvs uh with mccall and and sky Moore behind them uh, with no receiver hitting a thousand yards, but it pretty evenly distributed amongst those four in a lot of ways. We talked about this prior to the show, Ron. They could be uh, BK could even be underestimating McColl here, maybe overestimating Sky Moore. So essentially, they these projections show about three guys in that eight hundred to a thousand yard range. So you've got good players having good seasons with Mahomes. Uh, the numbers could still be there. Obviously, if Kelsey is still himself and you get something out of some of these other ancillary players, there's there, the way the offense could look different is that instead of being concentrated with just Hill and Kelsey, it's spread out amongst Kelsey plus four other guys. Which is exactly where why the passing game could pop wide open compared to what it did last year because I think last year it was very easy to just say, hey, we're, we're, we're keeping – we're not letting Tyreek beat us, right? And and I think that's a, why you saw a lot of the coverages you did last year. 
Defenses well, may the defenses was, was may not defenses that didn't want him to be beat, or was it the Chiefs holding down his stats? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ramblin' Ron will get to that later, Matt. Come on, Stags. You know Ramblin' Ron's on that. So no, uh, it is it, it is funny though because I think last year a lot of the defenses were just it was a lot of Tyreek focus why they were doing that. It you know it's it's not Kelsey. I you know that's not Kelsey. You know uh, threatening them vertically and making them do these two high, very soft zone coverages. It was Tyreek because actually, you know, Kelsey dominates zone coverages. They actually wouldn't want to run those zone coverages because, and that's why Kelsey still has great years. All that to say, though, you don't know who to stop in this offense, and and that and we're going to get into that more because you know there's a lot of different receivers, a lot of different names, and we don't know which one's going to emerge. And that's kind of what B, BK's point in this article was too. You know, they're all very even, and I think that's probably a fair assessment. What we know right now, what it'll look like. So. I just my point mainly was that the familiarity of all those guys, what now that they are better talents than what they had depth wise, the familiarity of the offense, it may take a while maybe for to get it going to where maybe the stats just dwindle a little bit, but I could see the offense, the passing offense still being explosive too, uh, you know, at one point. That's fair enough. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to that series, the Reed remix, or maybe you should just call it the Reed mix. Uh, <laughs> but uh, either way, uh, looking forward to that series, looking forward to learning more about. Uh, what you're seeing from the offense and what your predictions are. Uh, Patrick Pahomes, our guy, not a Chiefs fan on Twitter, says what under-the-radar player is going to have a breakout season? There's a decent chance we've already mentioned them so far in this podcast, but uh, who's your breakout player candidate? I'm not sure we have, Stags. Have we mentioned Jody Fortson, the the people's the people's champ? Um, I don't think we have. And, and you know, I keep talking about familiarity and continuity in the offense being such an important key point um, with with what we're talking about here with the offense. Fortson it has more familiarity than you might think. You know, he's been around the Chiefs organization for quite a few years, um, and you know, he's 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 probably caught a, a few practice balls from Mahomes. Um, although I guess you know he wasn't there from Mahomes. He might not. I don't think he was there for 2017. I guess before Mahomes took over starting, but I think there's familiarity there. And I also think the other point that I want to make here with Jody Fortson is we talk about Noah Gray, kind of how he matched up so well with what Kelsey does as a tight end, kind of the the hybrid kind of type tight end. What what specific things that Kelsey does, like especially when they isolate him on one side of the uh, of the formation, basically as the X receiver, and he faces that cornerback himself. I think a lot of the stuff they ask him to do in those particular situations, Fortson's probably the best direct substitute to for. And that's where I think, you know, if there is any, you know, um, if Kelsey does need any more, um, you know, there's another question here, which we'll get into um, with, with, with just Kelsey, you know, if, if Kelsey needs any more, you know, less snaps or anything, and they need more, um, more work from the tight ends, I think Fortson in that role specifically could definitely fill um, more than I think the other tight end on the roster could honestly. No, I, I love Jody Fortson. I think the, um, the physical profiles there being 6'6", you know, 240, and and the speed and athletic ability he's shown just in short glimpses last year is enough for all of us to, to continue to be excited about his possibilities, even if it's just a red zone threat, even if it's just one yeah. more guy that you have to account for down around the goal line. Um and you never know. Maybe he can develop into more than that. I, I like that guy. I mean, and I like the pick. Um, my under-the-radar player this year that, that's going to have a breakout year, I'm going to go with a guy who who shouldn't be under the radar uh, and who we have talked about already before. Uh, I, I really do believe that uh, actually at this point um, that Juju Smith-Schuster might be uh, due to break out yet again. 
so it, it wouldn't be his first breakout year, um, but I think he's a guy that that's almost being underrated at this point in that wide receiver room. Something we haven't talked a lot about, uh, but a healthy Juju is somebody that uh, you know can put up 13, 1400 yards and has proven that in his career. Um, he's got a lot to prove still. He's still in that one year deal. He's still looking to get paid in that multi-year deal and, and it hasn't gotten it yet. So even with all the other names around him, I think he's now under the radar, uh, but I don't think he should be. Yeah, I, I agree with you that he is under the radar and I, and that's actually a good transition um, into Chef Boyardee's question at, at Chief Boyardee um, because he actually, and, and I'm taking maybe an opposite side as you hear, but lots of hype this year about how talented our team is. Here's his question, uh, by the way, um, even though it's very different, Who's the most likely to underwhelm or take a step back this year? I feel like Chiefs fans are sky high in the whole team, and I just can't imagine it plays out that perfectly. Yes, that is a very good observation. <laughs> Chef Boy RDG never plays out like we want it to, but right. you know, I, I think this plays into your point that I, I picked uh, Juju Smith Schuster for this one. I, I think it's naturally starting to feel like he's he might be the one that that maybe you know um, in the in the totem pole of, of pass catchers in this offense. He might be lower than then he needs to be to have kind of a, a big year. And that's where, you know, he may have to break out, you know, it may have to be a, where he, he, you know, proves himself, you know, over time and breaks out, you know, above guys like MBS who we've heard, you know, maybe be taking the primary reps or I, I should say, maybe just kind of being the favorite target of Mahomes, maybe having the, the most chemistry in OTA so far, which obviously is a good disclaimer to say OTAs is still OTAs. It's still just June, but I just want to break it down like this, man. You think about Kelsey still being that lead target getter, obviously. Obviously, I just mentioned MBS, but then Hardman, which I just talked about too, having the most familiar, familiar familiarity in the offense, plus Clyde being involved in the passing game too. I just think you know it could there could be a chance that Juju kind of gets buried more than we'd like him to be. And I sh- and I say all this with the fact with knowing that I really like Juju on the team. I think it was a great signing. I really like how he plays. I think it's he's a good football player. I just think naturally he might be the one that's a little more squeezed out than we'd like like to see. So. I think that plays into your point. The Chiefs are in the midst of their three-day mandatory minicamp. So voluntary OTAs are a thing of the past. We are focused on the first day of minicamp. That happened on Tuesday. There are two more days of what is mandatory minicamp. And what does mandatory minicamp mean? That means for the first time during the offseason, players have to be there or they are subject to a fine. And so you would think that most guys, even ones that maybe we haven't seen, Chris Jones and Frank Clark, yeah, of course they're going to be there. Wrong, wrong. Only Chris Jones was there. <laughs> Chris Jones uh, was there and, and Frank Clark was not, which I found the, uh, to be a little surprising. I know that fans were not so thrilled about it to begin the day. And then later, John, it came out that Frank Clark had an excused absence. Yeah, well, we we may. Well, actually, we probably never will find out what that excused absence was about. Um, But it is curious that he wouldn't be there. Uh, What else has he got going on that's more important? Unless it was a court appearance, I suppose. Right. It could uh, have been. I mean, we don't really know what happens here is we'll get Andy Reid on on Thursday to to close out what really is the off season. I can't even believe we're here already, but it'll, yeah. be, it'll be closing out the off season. Last time we'll speak to him prior to, prior to the, the team's meeting up in St. Joe. It, it's crazy to say, but here we are June 15th. We'll talk to Andy on Thursday. 
And that'll be it until St. Joe. Um, to get into more of the attendance, though, for minicamp day one, Orlando Brown Jr. was not there. Right now, he's technically not on the team, so he is not subject to a fine. Mm-hmm. He ha- he has yeah. to sign his tag, and then he'll be back in the mix. When uh, he'd so be he a would, fool to play without a contract, you know, to go out there and risk 100%. getting hurt. Right? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't love what's going on with the contract, but I completely understand why he isn't out there. Right? Right. At this point, you're not yeah. going to expect him to be there. Blake Bell uh, was not there. Frank Clark, we mentioned, is an excused absence. Malik Herring, Rashad Fenton, uh, to be expected. Fenton continues to rehab his shoulder. They're optimistic for training camp. Justin Ross, uh, another absence for him. He was actually absent the last day of voluntary OTAs as well. Uh, Daryl Williams was absent, but we found out later that he was the other transaction to bring Jarek McKinnon back. We'll get into that in a second. We did see Lucas Niang. Uh, he was in a ball cap, not not working. He continues to rehab, and for the first time this offseason, we did we did catch a glimpse of wide receiver uh, Darius Fountain, though he did appear uh, somewhat limited. I wonder if we'll get some more clarity on that. He had been absent for all of the voluntary OTAs. Watched him yesterday. Looked like he did some warm ups, but would quickly exit. That was kind of the same treatment that Sky Moore was receiving as he was working back from his hamstring. So I just. I got to think there was something there at Fountain. It is a little bit of speculation mm-hmm. there, but yeah. it, it just seems like uh, it wouldn't have been a player that would have wanted to skip voluntary just because he's still got to prove something to make the team. Sure. And then you saw him limited mandatory. So deductive reasoning would tell you that that Defoe is, is going through something. Yeah, that's a that's a fair uh, speculation, a speculative uh, guess there, I think. All right, so let's get into the next thing we want to talk about. Don't forget the second mandatory minicamp will happen on Wednesday. You can check our site for the news and notes and attendance and the press conferences, and we'll post uh, the good, good idea by John. We'll post some of my observations onto the page uh, as well. But the next piece of news is, and I thought this was kind of surprising, John, and, and I wonder what, what you thought about this. The mm-hmm. chief decided to bring Jerick McKinnon back in the mix. And I'll tell you, I remember writing on ArrowheadPride.com that Ronald Jones signing meant the end of the Jerick McKinnon era in Kansas City. And to my surprise, the Chiefs bring him back. This has been well received uh, among many fans who thought McKinnon was an underused player in 2021 um, and better than the other running backs the team had on the roster. I'm not sure that's entirely true. If that were the case, I think the Chiefs would have made an effort to bring him back right away rather than wait until this point. Yeah, uh, The fact that other teams haven't picked him up by this point should tell you uh, how he is viewed by other teams in, in terms of his ability uh, as a running back. However, there were moments last season where he looked good, and this is why there's fans who are high on him, is that there were moments where he, he looked really good. Um, and uh, so the Chiefs are just finding out what they can get out of him. I'm sure it's a, a minimum salary deal or maybe even a veteran salary benefit contract. So it's a very low uh, amount of uh, investment to bring him back and provide a little additional com- uh, competition in the running back room. So it's it's a positive move. Uh, I'm just not sure that it means what some fans think it means. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm a little I was a little confused by this. I I did think that once Jones was on the roster that it meant the end of McKinnon for one reason or another. Now, I also feel that at the end of last year, Jerick McKinnon was by far the best running back on the team. And regardless uh, of how you get to the the team and 
it doesn't matter if you're a first rounder. It doesn't matter if you're an undrafted free agent holdover like a Daryl Williams, for example. I, I think you got to go with the best back in the playoffs. And I think the Chiefs identified him, which is why it was strange to me that it took so long. And I wonder if McKinnon was really testing the market and then eventually kind of realized, well, based upon usage and whatnot, the team that would find me the most valuable was the team I was with, with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, where it gets interesting for me is the numbers game. And when you're talking about a 53-man roster, it's not just the numbers in the running back room, which, as we know, the depth is wild. You have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. We talked about Ronald Jones. You have Derek Gore, the draft pick, and Isaiah Pacheco. Jerry and Ely has flashed a little bit. Tayon Fleet-Davis is another guy that is in the mix. That's probably more of a practice squad candidate. Now, where it becomes interesting is you have a very, very deep wide receiver room. We all agree the Chiefs are keeping six receivers, don't we, right? That yeah, mm-hmm. we know that like there's enough talent there where you're, you're going to find six receivers to, to keep on the roster. I know the Chiefs like Blake Bell, right? So if you're assuming that, they're not going to get rid of Noah Gray. We know that they're not going to get rid of Jody Fortson. They sure as hell are not going to get rid of Travis Kelsey. That's already 10 players. Mm-hmm. If you, then you count a fullback, right? So mm-hmm. now you're at 11 you're probably only keeping three running backs. So I say to myself, okay, well, who are the definites that they're keeping? This is going to be a little bit of my own speculation, and this is just how I feel. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a lock. You're not cutting a first-rounder. I think Isaiah Pacheco is a lock. I think Brett Veach was very, very high on Pacheco. He said before the draft, Mm. he's very honest. I think he thinks a 1,000-yard rusher is coming on day three, right? So that leaves one spot for... McKinnon, Jones, and to me, Derek Gore. I got to think Derek Gore is out of that mix just because I don't know if you're bringing back McKinnon and bringing in Jones. I think the hard cut is going to be between McKinnon and Jones. And I did not anticipate even dreaming about that once they brought Ronald Jones back. But I'm as you're going through the numbers, it it's hard to make sense of the room and how many they can keep. Otherwise, now I could be wrong. You, you keep one less offensive lineman and maybe you keep four running backs and all four of them are there, but you're getting awfully tight when it comes to the offensive side of the football, especially given the fact that like you go to the other side, you have a million defensive backs to choose from, right? You, you can make a consideration for keeping an extra one there. So uh, it, it is number breaking season, especially as we get back. Uh, date is going to be in, in mid July. Uh, for us to come back, but it, it's hard to wrap my head around what happens here in the running back room now. Oh, yeah, it's going to be tough, but you know, we have this discussion every year. They always seem to have more running backs than they've got spots on the roster. And um, so this is not a, a surprising development. I think they like it this way. I think they like having to make the hard decisions because that means they've got some talented guys in there. I'm not as high on McKinnon as a lot of people are. Uh, Yes, he was the feature back in the playoffs. And yes, I think that he earned that opportunity with some of the things that he did during the regular season. But I think it's easy to forget that there were some injury issues with the other running backs during the postseason. And I think that had as much to do with McKinnon being the feature back as anything else. And people want to forget that because they like McKinnon and they like what they saw from him during the season last year. And that's fine. But right. I, I think that, that we might be overvaluing him a little bit. I, if I had to choose between Jones and McKinnon, I think I'd go with Jones at this point with what now, we now know. The injury point is, is valid. And I also think, like, 
when you have someone on the open market and they were able to do what they they were in the playoffs where you had all these touches and mm-hmm. you know over 300 yeah. yards and then the league speaks to you a little bit right no one hired mckinnon based on that and so you know it is possible that the league doesn't really value mckinnon as as high as the the kansas city chiefs do it'll be a another interesting room that i i think is going to involve a, a tough cut i mean i i think mm-hmm. that Derek gore as high as you know some diehard chiefs fans are i think he, he'll be safely on the practice squad so you can make a case i guess for four running backs you're just getting really tight with all those numbers sure i just don't know how they do it especially if you're trying to keep even offense and, and even defense it's something to watch the player who was released or i should say waived uh, as mckinnon was brought back was the center daryl williams who's been trying to work his way to the chiefs active roster i think they like williams as a potential backup center but now you also have austin Ryder mm-hmm. in the mix i don't know what happens with williams if I'm going with my gut, I tend to think that there, there's going to be a way for him to be back on the 90 man by training camp. Maybe they just, it was a numbers thing, but you never know. It also could be, could be the end of the road just because you did bring Ryder back in the mix. But you know, Ryder stands out to me as a guy. Yeah. You know, part of the Super Bowl team and everything, but they've never been really completely satisfied with Ryder. So I wonder if there's a numbers thing where Williams just ends up in it's not an exciting battle, but the battle for backup center, I, I, I think he could potentially be a candidate there still, even though he's not currently on the roster. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on the practice squad again this year. Yeah. Uh, even after, you know, he could end up sitting uh, on his sofa the rest of the off season. And yeah. then when the season begins, they could put him on the practice squad. It's hard to, it's hard to undervalue a guy who knows the system and that you believe has some potential. And he wouldn't have been on the practice squad the last couple of years if the Chiefs didn't see some potential. Yeah. All of that said, however, it could easily be the end of the line for Darrell Williams. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chiefs are, are quick with the numbers, too, after these camps. We saw some weird moves happen before. Uh, camps before recently and then mm-hmm. it sort of readjusted after the camp so i don't know the chiefs could have said daryl continue to work out we'll we'll figure this thing out after camp but uh again remains to be seen we'll see what happens with daryl williams an interesting prospect has has center upside it doesn't really seem like a starter but we've realized in kansas city over the years like you got to have good backups at yeah. every position so <laughs> yeah. might as well get him back in the mix if there's there's room all right uh all the chiefs rookies are now signed. This was something that was going to happen no matter what. They're with the wage scales now of the draft picks. It, there's not a ton of haggling that goes on. It's just contract language. But every Chiefs draft pick has now signed. I believe Scott Moore was the last one, right, John? Yes, that, that mm-hmm. signed. that's right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, nothing really to say about that there. Um, George Karloftis, I thought this was interesting. I wrote it up yesterday for Hourhead Pride. Karloftis revealed during his presser that he showed up to camp 10 to 15, or I should say did his pre-draft work and it was 10 to 15 pounds lighter than he played uh, during college. This had to be a a recommendation from a trainer, uh, maybe talking to some pro team trainers and, and how they want you to necessarily be built as you enter the pro game. And I, I don't know, like here's where I'm at with Carl Loftus. Um, I don't know if he's going to pan out and I really don't know. I don't know if anybody knows that, but I think everything that he's doing to give it his 110% shot. I mean, you talk about effort and uh, 
you look at past draft picks like Breland Speaks and showing up out of shape. Uh, I, I saw that in the comments yesterday. Like they're right. Like Karloftis is the exact opposite of Breland Speaks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right? Um, just is going to do everything in his power to try to be a day one contributor, to be a lasting guy in this league. Uh, you can tell that all he wants to do, even after camp breaks on Thursday, is go train again. He comes off like a robot. Uh, if he has production, he he is going to be one of the fan favorites uh, in, mm-hmm. in Kansas City. I mean, I could just already tell that. Uh, and so I just liked I, I like mentioning that that the ten to fifteen pounds of, of loss. It's not easy to lose ten to fifteen pounds. Maybe a little easier when you're two seventy five, like Karloftis was at at Purdue. But still, I I think to say okay, uh, I am sort of this power rusher, and I I want to be a little bit more nimble so I could have a, a better plan. I think speaks to Karloftis, uh, the player, and also sort of knowing that on day one he has this rare opportunity where he's going to be a starter right we already know that and mm-hmm. i think he's grabbing the bull by the horns which is i thought was good to see so. well I, I think it's hard to say that it's bad advice to uh to have a guy who's going to come into the league as with his with his high motor as his calling card which is what we're talking about with Karloftis, to lose some weight if if high motor is going to be what what gets you work and makes you effective on the defensive line I think you want to be as trim as you can be. And uh, so I think he got some good advice to shed some of the weight he had in college. There's some evidence that uh, that he was a little more nimble earlier in his career before he put on the weight uh, after being a, a, a swimming, <laughs> a, a water polo player uh, where he didn't need that weight. He became a football player. They said, you need to bulk up. And now I think he's getting the right advice to to come back down a little bit because uh, his speed, his motor is the calling card, and the, that extra weight isn't going to help him there. Yeah, I I like Karloftis uh, already, and uh, it, it's an easy guy to root for because you can just you you can simply tell just how hard he's going mm-hmm, and, and working, sure. and you you you'd hope to assume that from every draft pick, but I, over the years it really isn't always the case. So uh, a good first start, I I think for for Karloftis. Okay, here's a, another story, John. Juju Smith-Schuster was in Pittsburgh doing a charity event over the weekend, and he essentially said that he wouldn't rule out a, a return to Pittsburgh. Has a soft spot in his heart for Pittsburgh. He's only on a one-year deal with the Chiefs. Should Chiefs fans care about this? What do you think? I, I'm not worried about it. I mean, he's on a one-year deal in Kansas City. I don't think anybody <laughs> realistically believes that he's, you know, going to be with the team again uh, after this season. If he does well, uh, he'll end up getting a contract with another team, I expect, for quite a bit more money than the Chiefs are probably going to want to pay him. Uh, if he doesn't do well, nobody's going to want to keep him. I mean, I, I just don't see why this is a, a problem for Chiefs fans. Um, yeah, it's always discomforting to hear one of your players talking about what's after uh, their time with your team. I I can see that, but realistically that's what you should expect, especially when he's back in Pittsburgh talking to the media there. Uh, We talked about this briefly yesterday between us, Pete, that, uh, you know, it's pretty common for NFL players to forget that when they say something in a different market, it doesn't make its way back to to the to home base, uh, which is what happened with Tony Gonzalez and uh, 
you know, he said something to reporters in Atlanta that got blown way out of proportion by the time it made its way back to Kansas City. Yeah, so no, uh, if I if if I was our friend, you know, Ted Cruz or, or Brad G of, of Chiefs Public Relations, yeah, I would yeah. I would talk to every player and be like, all right, here's the Tony G rule. Remember, yeah. <laughs> your quotes go everywhere. Yeah, it, the exact yeah. quote from Juju was, and, and it, this was in Pittsburgh. I could see myself back here even Sunday. This shows a lot that I still have fans out here coming to support me. Uh, similar to Tyreek, I last week being back. These were probably this was probably like a pre-scheduled event before sure. he yeah. knew where mm-hmm. he was going to land. That was been on the calendar for a while, so he's back in Pittsburgh doing it. Had a good time there. I think stories like this become more common. As the NFL goes on, there's like, I don't know. There was a time in, in NFL history where Patrick, uh, a Patrick Mahomes and a Josh Allen would have never played golf together and laughed and mm-hmm. yeah, just never wanted to be in the same room. And I just, you know, for better or for worse, I, I think a lot of that as the years have gone on, it just go just went away. I mean, you see a tight end summit. A pass rusher summit, mm-hmm. kickers summit. Yeah. These guys are helping each other, even though they're going to be playing them twice a year. There's a little bit less, I think, of that supreme team. You're my enemy pride. Now, I think once the games start, it things change. Like I go back to the Richard Sherman Baker Mayfield thing, where he's just making up in his head and gets confused of like just trying to get a mean <laughs> streak against Baker Mayfield. I, I very much think the on the field product and and those you know 60 minutes are are different, but you know, when they get off the field, they kind of, uh, they're a little bit more free flowing. They have their own channels, their own personality. I don't think you, you killed Juju for this. Would I have said it? Probably not. Right. I don't think I, but, uh, it's, it's reality. I, he knows mm-hmm. he's on a one year yeah. deal. Yeah. What would have to happen for him to really stay in Kansas city? It, it, it would not be a really great year because he's going to overprice himself. It would not right. be a really bad year because the chiefs wouldn't be interested. So he would have to have like a middling mm-hmm. year. Reality is this is probably a one and done for Juju. So let's just enjoy him while we have him. And then he'll go back to Pittsburgh, I guess. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've been taken aback a bit this week, Serta, by some of the comments from whether it be the returning wide receivers. I know McCole Hardman made mention to this or the coaching staff. Andy Reid talked about this as well. I think Patrick Mahomes made reference to it. Most of them seem to be indicated that the offense is going to be similar to what we've seen over the years with Patrick Mahomes. I didn't expect that. I thought there would be changes that would be made because when Tyreek Hill is not there, you can't run the same offense. Like it's just going to have to be different because that guy is 
a otherworldly talent and he's a one of one. Like I've never seen anybody like him in the NFL before and we're probably never going to see anybody like him again. So I figured, okay, there's obviously going to be changes that are made. Maybe it's not going to be that there's changes made within the scheme. It's just going to be different guys filling different roles within that respective scheme. And so I wrote a piece over at arrowheadpride.com. You can check it out there if you would like to look at more of the nitty gritty in terms of the numbers, because it's tough to do this over the year. But I looked into what the projections should be for the pass catchers. And the way that I kind of divvied it up is I went on the premise that Mahomes' average season is about 5,000 yards and 40 passing touchdowns. And then you kind of break it down from there. The X amount goes to the receivers. Y goes to tight tight ends, AKA Travis Kelsey. And then there's about 750 yards typically that go to the running backs. So as I was looking through this Serta, it's really hard to find a way to get any of the chiefs receivers. If everybody gets stays healthy to a thousand yards, unless you think somebody's just going to be terrible. Like it requires either one guy to get hurt or somebody to severely underperform relative to what our current expectations are. So I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit because I think if I said to Chiefs fans, just flat out, the Chiefs will not have a 1,000-yard wide receiver this year. Kelsey will get there, but the receivers will not. Most of them would say that's a disappointing year given the fact that you're playing 17 games. I don't think it would be. It's just different than what we've seen in the past. What is your initial reaction when you hear the possibility that the Chiefs would not have a 1,000-yard receiver? I think I agree with you. Um, I, I don't think it's shocking, and I don't think it means uh, that it would be a disappointing season for the offense or anything like that. I, I just think that it means Patrick Mahomes is spreading the ball around a ton. And it's, you know, I, I do think there is a lot to the idea that Andy and Pat got a little too comfortable and complacent just saying, we got to feed Kelsey and we got to feed Hill. Like, we just got to find those guys. And we saw it. We've seen it. How many postseasons in a row with Aaron Rodgers where it, it comes down to the end of the game and Rodgers is just force feeding Devontae Adams, even though there's three guys on Devontae Adams and it winds up costing them or something because there's somebody else open and Aaron Rodgers isn't even looking his way like that. That happens in the NFL when you feel like you can't rely on the other guys like you get too locked into individuals. And I think that this year for the first time in Patrick Mahomes career, He's going to have to abandon that. Like he's going to have to just find guys and, and trust those guys to make plays outside of Kelsey, because I mean, Kelsey is incredible, but I, I think the offense does fail. If Travis Kelsey gets like 190 targets, like Cooper cup got last season, like, like if he's only targeting Travis Kelsey on a weekly basis and just getting insane volume, I think the offense will struggle, but if he's actually distributing the ball and spreading it around, I think that works better for everybody and it'll make everybody better because, you know, you're replacing, you're trying to replace Tyree Hill, obviously no one wide receiver that I think they brought in is going to command the amount of targets that Tyreek Hill commanded in the offense. But then you're also replacing Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. I think Juju Sky Moore and MVS, that trio of wide receivers is better than Pringle and Robinson. I'm not going to put Hill in that group because he's in a group all of his own. You're trying to replicate that production with three to four people. Also, bringing back Jody Fortson if he's healthy. I think Jody Fortson is intriguing in this offense, uh, but that's a pretty deep sleeper. But I just think they're going to be able to distribute the ball a lot. And I think Andy is going to design a lot more things this year and get more creative to get these guys involved. And so 
And I didn't even mention McCall Hardman. I think McCall Hardman is going to be better this season because he's not going to be stuck in that outside wide receiver role because they're utilizing Tyreek Hill in so many different spots. They can move McColl around. They can experiment with McColl and they can just try to get him in space and utilize his explosive playmaking ability. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of guys that have like similar targets, like a lot of guys like 60, 70 targets or something like that, as opposed to just having, you know, two guys who get 130 targets or 140 targets. And I think that's good for the Chiefs offense. I think what you saw last year from the Cowboys is what I expect this year from the Chiefs. If you look at the way that their targets were distributed, man, it was like seven different players that had between 35 and 80 receptions. CeeDee Lamb finished with 1,100 yards. He led the team. And then you had Amari Cooper with 865. You had Dalton Schultz with 800. You had Cedric Wilson with 600. Michael Gall- or, yeah, Michael Gallup with 450. Zeke and Pollard combined for about 600. That's kind of what I'm expecting from the Chiefs this year. You're going to have probably it's Travis Kelsey in that 1100 yard range. I think the Juju slash MVS will be in that 800 range. I think you'll have somebody either, depending on how it goes, McColl or uh, Sky Moore in that 600 and then the 500 range. And then you're going to have a couple of guys that probably surprise. Maybe it's a running back that has 350 yards and you got another guy that emerges. Maybe it is a deep sleeper that has 250 yards. I know there's been some Josh Gordon buzz. Maybe he turns it around and he's got like 250 yards this year. That, that would make some sense. A little bit of a, a bigger target that could do something for you in the red zone. That, that's possible. Those are the kinds of targets that I expect this year. It's different. It's not going to look the same as it did a year ago. But man, the Cowboys had one of the best offenses in the league last year. And Dak Prescott, there was a portion of the season where he looked like he was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He finished with 40 touchdowns and 4,500 yards. That'd be a really good year this year for uh, Patrick Mahomes. And if that's what the Chiefs offense looks like this season, and we talked about it already at the beginning of this podcast, the Chiefs defense could be a top 10 to 12 unit. Suddenly we're talking about them as a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl once again. But that's what it's going to require. It's going to require everybody to have a, a lesser role than what you had from your number one wide receiver last year, but better depth than what you had last year as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with their offense this season is just going to be like reliability, like just being in the right place at the right time, being where you're supposed to be, because we are going to see early on, like there's probably going to be some growing pains with with timing and chemistry and stuff like that, as they get used to playing with each other in live action NFL games, like you can't replicate what Tyreek Hill did for the chiefs uh, over several years where it was just Tyreek. And, you know, I think about like prime Antonio Brown and, and Ben Roethlisberger, like when the play breaks down, it's just get open. And that's who I'm looking for. That's what it was for Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And they're exceptional at it, but all of the guys that you have right now, like I feel better about the depth overall on the offense than I did last season. Like last season, I was legitimately mad when they came away without adding another wide receiver in last year's draft. And then in the off season, didn't add anybody else. And it was just, okay, uh, well, we're going to see what McColl's got now. And then McColl's playing 17% of the snaps midway through the season. Like, it, it, I, I was mad about that because the depth was an issue and letting Tyreek Hill walk allowed you to go acquire a lot more depth and the depth pieces that you have 
are better than the depth pieces that you had last season. So if we believe that excellent quarterbacks elevate the play of their pass catchers, then they should be fine because Patrick Mahomes is going to elevate the play of all of those pass catchers. And he's going to distribute the ball to a number of different guys, which I think at every wide receiver position, they've gotten better for the most part. You haven't gotten better than having Tyreek Hill, but you're better than where you were everywhere else. Yeah. And you mentioned Tyreek Hill before we get out of here. His podcast has officially been released. It was a podcast that he did with Drew Rosenhaus. It has made the rounds. I'll read one quote here and we can react to this. Drew Rosenhaus said, quote, There was a lot of times during the year that we felt that Tyreek was underutilized and wasn't fully appreciated in Kansas City. They really weren't taking full advantage of all of his ability and talent, end quote. I, we talked about this the last time that we had a show. And this will hopefully be the last time that we have to talk about it. I think we have now come to the conclusion that Tyreek Hill wanted to be the face of a franchise. And Ron made a great comp. He said this is basically the Kyrie Irving situation where Kyrie was with LeBron in Cleveland and said, you know what? I want to be my own man. I want to go lead a team. I want to have my own team because I've shown I can do it as a sidekick. Now it's my turn to go do it with somebody else. The off-field stuff set aside. We're just talking about the on on field for Tyreek or on court production for Kyrie. Kyrie has gone on to be a super productive player elsewhere. He's gone to multiple different stops and at every turn, he has been very productive, but he's not a winning player now because he's not on a team that produces as much winning as he did when he had one of the greatest players in the world with LeBron James. I think you're going to see something similar with Tyreek. Tyreek's going to be super productive in Miami. He's going to get his. He's probably going to have like 150 targets this upcoming season. He's going to have some game-changing plays where you're watching Red Zone on Sunday. The Miami Dolphins are playing against the Buffalo Bills. And Tyreek goes for a 60-yard classic reception where he takes the ball. It's on a slant RPO, and he's gone. And nobody can catch him, and he's doing the peace sign into the end zone. That's going to happen because Tyreek is an otherworldly talent. I also think he's going to win a whole hell of a lot less than he would have if he was still in Kansas City. And I also think it's outlandish to suggest that he was not utilized correctly in Kansas City. He had 160 targets last year. He had nine touchdowns and thirteen, almost 1,300 yards. And he was one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL for the entirety of his career here in Kansas City. He was utilized fine. If you wanted to move on, that's all right. I get it. You were always going to be third behind Kelsey and Patrick. I get it if you wanted to be number one elsewhere, and he is that down in Miami. But let's not lie about what was happening in Kansas City. It's just not true. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.